Chloe, you have an incredible story. When you were 12 years old, you decided you were transgender. And at 13, you came out to your parents. That same year, you were on puberty blockers and prescribed testosterone. At 15, you underwent a double mastectomy. Less than a year later, you realized you made a terrible mistake. And all that was by the time you were 16 years old. On this edition of Mind Matters Council Culture, licensed counselor and author Rita Schulte and me, Richard Beatty, talk with Chloe Cole about the long-term effects of what it means to be trans and if and when anyone is equipped to make that decision. So, Chloe, welcome to Mind Matters. We are very honored to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Can you start by walking us through the beginning of your journey and how you decided you were transgender? Before I was trend, before I decided to transition, I had been quite the tomboy throughout a lot of my childhood. I really felt like I related more to the boys um, in my class, at school, um, and even my older brothers and my dad and boy cousins. A little bit more than I related to, say, like my sisters, um, sometimes like my, my mom and a lot of the girls from, from school. And a lot of that was due to some of my interests, um, parts of my personality and my sense of humor. I felt really aligned more with, with the opposite sex. And I also felt like I just wasn't pretty. Um, I started puberty at a pretty young age and while I was in elementary school, um, I was being bullied. And so one of the things that people would pick at about me was the way that I looked. And now that like my, my breasts and such were developing, which I, I was nine when they barely started to bud. A lot of my peers would make comments on like my, my growing breasts and hips and such. And sometimes even like my, my teachers or like adults would make comments about it. It was an incredibly uncomfortable time for me. And it just kind of felt like a lot of my worth as a girl was just being attributed to my body, the way that I looked, how feminine I was. And I felt for the longest time that I just would never make a good woman because I felt so different from the other girls and women. It wasn't until I was 12, though, that I discovered the transgender community online through communities that were based around my own personal interests that I started to question my gender. And at 12, I decided that I just wasn't supposed to be a girl. I was actually the son of my mom and dad and not their, not their daughter. I changed my name. I changed the way that I presented myself by cutting my hair shorter, um, wearing, wearing more boys' clothing and trying to emulate the behaviors of the boys around me and of my older brothers. And about a month before my 13th birthday, I came out to my mom and dad and I told them that I wanted to be their son, that I hoped that they would accept me as a boy. And they initially were very, very receptive, but they also didn't want me to be making any permanent decisions. They kind of just wanted to allow me to explore this, these feelings without making any permanent decisions. But when they, they took me to the, the psychologist, they were met with pretty much the opposite response. They were told that there was no other choice for me, that they, sh that they as my parents, should give in to giving me their child what I wanted, and that it could be life or death for me. 
if I wasn't allowed to. They said that they either would have a dead daughter or a living transgender son, their pick. And so at 13, only about half a year after I started these consultations with a therapist, I was placed on puberty blockers. And about only a month or so after that was when I was put on testosterone. I, I was only about halfway through my eighth grade year and I was already starting a medical transition. And at 15 years old, um, when I was only a sophomore in high school, I underwent a double mastectomy. They removed my breasts um, through surgery. And less than half a year later was when the regret really started to set in. And I realized that one day I wanted to become a mother as an adult, that I wanted to embrace my identity as a woman, that a lot of my feelings of discomfort around my sex were due to a few reasons that, um, that my doctors had really failed to really address the diagnosis and the treatment of my gender dysphoria, being that um, while I was previously diagnosed with ADHD, I had an undiagnosed case of autism and I had a body image disorder. And I also had an unresolved sexual trauma and none of this was ever explored, really addressed. Yes. For our listeners, uh, we do this on video and record it so I can see Chloe. She's beautiful. So the fact that you wouldn't think anything else is it just continues to be mind boggling to me because with my eating disorder folks, it, it's, it, it was always the same thing. They, they were so pretty. And yet what they saw in the mirror didn't translate. Was the feeling just so strong for you when you actually were going to these consultations and you were like, this is what I want. I'm 100% sure of it. Yeah. At the time, I was very confident in it because, well, that's how children and especially adolescents tend to be. They tend to be very confident in decisions that they tend to feel very confident in decisions that they make or want to make or in what they want to have. And they don't really tend to stop to think about what it is that they might need. And it was the only, it was the only choice that I knew of. It was the only one that was really presented to me. I only had the choice of transition. So a lot of this seems to, and jump in if I don't have it right, been brought about and compounded by peer pressure, social media, all of that, the longing to fit in and belong somewhere. Yeah, def definitely. Um, I felt like I, throughout a lot of my childhood, that I longed to, be to belong somewhere because I had been bullied throughout a lot of it. And as an artistic and autistic kid, I really kind of struggled to find that amongst my own peer group. The transgender community basically gave me just that. Like it was a group of people who were all very different in their own ways. And they came together based on those, on those differences that they had. And they were very accepting of people who looked or acted different. And there was this overall message of self-acceptance and discovery and expression and finding your own niche. And that was something that really personally hit close, close to home for me. Well, within the community, there's this mantra of trans women are women and transgender men are men. And this idea that people are transgender because they actually have the brains of the opposite sex. Like for example, a biological female can have a more masculine, like more masculine brain patterns and vice versa. And I really clung on to this idea because it kind of gave me an explanation as to why I felt like I was so different from the other girls my age. 
And the doctors never really investigate a lot of these other things you're saying. And you think that's the case pretty much across the board from the medical community that this is okay and and we should just start kids at your age on these hormones and puberty blockers. Yeah, I mean, my own experience reflects that of a lot of the people who I've met who've also been on these treatments. It's very one-size-fits-all. There isn't like a whole lot of psychological evaluation. We're not looking at the unique individual. Uh, you were you were born as a person who has unique gifts and talents, a unique human being. You, you were born a, a certain sex. Those seem to be not discussed anymore. I, I guess my, my main question is that are we not looking at the unique individual and what their needs are and saying, okay, well, they feel this way for a certain amount of time. Is it a logical conclusion that, that, that they're going to be trans? Or is it a logical conclusion that they're not going to be trans? It, it's all just one size fits all. Are we, are we getting so much into the one size fits all that it's really damaging a whole generation of people? Yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely what it is. It's really not looking at these people's individual needs. It's not really a holistic approach at all, which is something that you have. It's a, it's a, that's an approach you ha- that you have to take when you're addressing somebody's psychology. Because, I mean, all these different parts of somebody's mind, the way that they're raised, their family, any traumas they might have, any conditions that they've previously been, been diagnosed with, affect them as they currently are. And they always will. And there's no way around that. Essentially just giving these patients what they want, giving yeah. into their desires rather than their needs. Well, does anybody ever bother to explain? I mean, you made a good point a few minutes ago. It's like the brain does not fully develop until one is 25. And so for a teenager, the ability to even think abstractly or consequentially isn't in place until the latter teenage years. And so... It's it's beyond shocking to me that a physician with that kind of knowledge would just say, or anyone, all this agenda pushing this on children, that at 13 years old, you can make an informed decision to understand consequentially when those brain skills aren't even in place, their executive learning skills, until much later in life. It's horrifying. No, they, they never really, I actually didn't know about that until after I started transitioning. Um, and even then, I don't think it would really matter if somebody told me that because it's just, that's, that's a very hard thing for children to conceptualize. Yes. Like I'm not fully mature yet, even though like I have some level of autonomy. It's kind of, I mean, kids and younger people tend to think in a very black and white way, no matter how much you explain to a kid about this. They haven't lived for very long. They don't have very much experience in the world. They can't make a life-changing decision because they don't know what permanence is like. Yeah, those concepts are very abstract. And exactly, they can't make some of those decisions. And yet that's what you know is being forced upon them because really what, what they are capable of doing is sitting with feelings and feelings tell me this. And so I'm living out of my feelings, right? Right. What are the repercussions of this? I mean, tragically, I imagine that many people will struggle for the rest of their lives with the irreversible medical consequences of a decision they make as minors. Do you suffer from any of that from the hormones? Or, I mean, I've read a lot about how it affects your bones, how just all kinds of things. 
anything like that? Or Yeah, it's been over two years since I stopped taking hormones and three years since the surgery. And I'm still going through the healing process with the surgery. Um, I have to wear bandages over, over my chest every day because the skin grafts that they used in it have basically become open wounds and they've started to weep fluid. The, because of the testosterone, I have issues with my, my urinary tract, which while I was on it and when I initially stopped taking it, it was a lot worse then. Um, I mean, sometimes I would get like, I mean, I was, I was very prone to like getting infections, um, blood in my urine and sometimes even like bits of tissue in it, which has since gone away, but I still have issues with having to use restroom rather frequently and not being able to, to fully empty my bladder, for example. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty big thing that affects my quality of life because the hormones, I have a permanently masculinized bone structure. My face, my nose, my upper body, and my body in general are a lot more masculine than it used to be. And that's going to stick with me for life because that's just the way that I grew because I was on this and my hips are underdeveloped and my breasts, they're gone now and I'm not going to get them back. And even if I wanted to get like implants or reconstruction down the line, that's still going to be very difficult to go through. It's not as easy as people often make it out to be. And I might not even have enough tissue to undergo a reconstruction as much as I want to. Yeah. So that might even be a solution. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I want people to hear. This is for the rest of your life. This isn't just like, okay, well, let's, let's just go have another surgery and get new breasts. I mean, first of all, that's a big deal. And second of all, all the physiological things, you know, that happen to folks. What do you want doctors to know? I mean, did you go back to your doctor after all of this, when you started to change your mind? And what did you say? Well, I told them that I regretted it and also that I was having complications with the treatments that they put me on. My gender specialists and some of the other psychologists that I was dealing with were very manipulative. Um, The specialists often told me things like, well, it's just another transition. It's just a retransition or like it's just another part of your gender journey, which is really just grossly undermining how seriously this is affecting me and the and the fact that it's going to affect me for life, this decision that I was unable to make that she was involved in, she was basically absolving herself of the responsibility of it. And I had an assessment for autism after the fact, after I detransitioned, and they refused to diagnose me on the grounds that, well, they said I was too smart to be on the spectrum, essentially, which is weird because mo- most people who are on the high function and the spectrum tend to be pretty intelligent. They tend to be broken. This was basically counted against me, right? And they they circled back to gender being the issue. They said that, well, some of these autistic symptoms are most, they're, they're more indicative of gender dysphoria. After I stopped transitioning, my desire to transition was gone. And I had to go off hormones. I, I went off hormones cold turkey because I wasn't really sure how to, and I wasn't really getting any guidance from endocrinologist on how I might be able to stop it over time, whether I should do that gradually, whether I should do it just in, in one go. And she wasn't like regularly scheduling the blood tests that I needed for like my, my sex hormone levels. And my surgeon, I went back to him about a year after I stopped transitioning because that's when the complication with the weeping grafts came Sorry. up. And when I, when I first prompted him, I was only really able to get like a five minute appointment with him over the phone. And the whole time, like he was being kind of rude to me. It felt like he was very much dismissing my concerns. 
And I kind of picked up on that during the call, but I kind of just thought, well, maybe he's maybe he's acting so calmly about about it because he's seen this happen before, and maybe the advice he's giving me will help me. I'm, I mean, at the time, it didn't make sense. He said, "Yeah, just keep keep covering it up with bandages and put some Vaseline on it to keep the wound moist," which didn't make sense because it's already fluid of its own. But I thought, well, maybe he maybe he knows something. He's probably recommended this to another patient before, so I'll bite. And I did. And it gave me a skin infection. For the longest time, I just lost all my trust in any of the doctors that I had, especially the ones who got me into this situation. I mean, you had to be very frustrated and angry at the lack of care that you received, all the bad information. How has all this affected your mental health and well-being? I mean, it's, it's still quite fresh. And... I've gotten a lot better since I've stopped, but it's it's still something that affects me to this day. And it's not like it will ever not affect me, even as I go through the, the, the motions of healing, both physically and mentally from it. Like, obviously, I'm never going to have breasts ever again. I'll never have that feminine form ever again. I'll never even have the chance to grow mentally or physically into a woman the way that I would have if I were just allowed to be a kid. And that's incredibly difficult for me to grapple with. I I wish that things weren't the way that they were, but at the same time, I feel like that everything happens for a reason. And for me, this just so happened to be a very tough lesson. And it's a lesson that I'd like to use to teach other people through their struggles. I, I read a lot about stories such as yours, and it, it, it seems that depending on which side of of the culture that you're on, you know, we have a, we have a culture that's at war with each other over issues. And it, it seems like somebody like you is really caught in the crosshairs. You're in between. So you're getting pressure from both sides. Describe that and, uh, and how confusing that can be and, and where you're at right now. Yeah. I mean, it really sucks. I mean, my personal experience basically has been so highly politicized, but at the same time, politics is also a great, a great tool to get things done. And this issue is also not as partisan as people make it out to be. I'm often made out to be like a, like a right wing bigot, but for me, it's not about politics. I really see it as more of a, a human issue, a family issue than a political one. This is a lot less partisan people than the media really paints it out to be. My, I get support from all over the board, really. People who are both Republicans and Democrats, people who are somewhere in between, libertarians, people from really all across the political spectrum, from all walks of life. Thank you for that, for, for that answer. But I, just, I just meant that you probably feel pressure from from all sides, basically, and right. um, and and so, and it should not be a political issue. I don't think it is a political issue. Well, how did the trans community react to you detransitioning? Did they? Because I've read plenty of that. Like it's, they think you're a traitor. Yeah, incredibly aggressively, actually. I mean, the moment that I started talking about the regret, it was like I was basically excommunicated. Like they didn't want anything to do with me anymore because. My story was offensive, and by talking about the the pain and regret of it all, just the feelings that I was going through, 
I was only going to make people uncomfortable. I was only going to discourage real transgender people from getting the care that they might need. Um, and I stole resources from the transgender community by erroneously transitioning that it was all my fault, that I should have known better, that I did know better that, I mean, one person even said like, you were, you were 13, not a toddler. Sometimes they would just go out of their way to just plain harass me and say things like, you looked better as a boy. Just try, just trying to really get under my skin. And for a while it did because I was just 16 years old and I, I had been bullied in school, but it had never really been as bad as it was. And these were people, it was coming from people who supported me the most through my transition, especially the more extreme that it got. Um, my first testosterone shot and when I was post-op, that was probably the most I had ever been celebrated in my life up until that point. And those same people were now rejecting me. They were saying these awful things to me. I don't think I've ever felt so alone as I did then. Where did you get any support? Yeah, it actually mainly came from my own family because I wasn't really getting that support from anywhere else. The transgender community obviously was not very receptive and my own doctors were not helping me with this. And I was losing friends at school because um, I was in so much distress from the trauma of what I had been through and from the uh, the ramifications of going off the hormones. I was very unhealthy physically and psychologically for a while. And all I really had was like my, my mom and dad and the rest of my family. And mom and dad, they felt a lot of guilt because they felt like they had their hand forced in this, that they were duped by the doctors and they wished that they pushed harder on it. They, yeah. they pushed harder against it. And I mean, just the little gestures like, uh, during that like first week, in the first few months, like I was very much dysfunctional. I just, there, I, I, for the longest time, I just found it really difficult to get out, out of bed. But like just with how mom and dad like checking on me, sometimes like bringing a snack to my door, I feel like stuff like that just kept me going. Mm. Did you despair of your own life, Chloe? I really didn't know if I had anything left by that point. Some sort of hope just kept me going through it, kept me, kept, me, kept me fighting. I mean, it was really hard to believe at the time that time would heal me because just because of the permanence of all of this. I mean, I'm never not going to be affected by it, mm -hmm. but I've managed to heal. Time has healed me. Mm -hmm. And now that's, well, I've got little baby nieces and a nephew, I, I worry about the, the world for this next generations, the, the, the ones that come after them. And I've, I, I just want to, I just want to live in a world where I feel like I can watch them and my own children one day grow up safely. And I've met many other people who had been through the process of transitioning, both people who transitioned as children and as adults. I want to be an advocate for them. And I want to help these families who are being affected by this. Make sure that what happened to me as a kid never happens to any other child or teenager ever again. So what is your advice then for the parents? There's parents out there that are going through this. They're struggling. My kid wants to, to do this and, you know, they just won't let up. And what do you say to them? A, a word of advice for any parent, whether their kid's being affected by this or not, is that as unfortunate as it is, they're going to learn about this somehow 
whether it be through the internet, whether it be through like an online game or social media or through peer influence or through school. It's important that you, as their parent, get to them about this and tell them the truth about it and tell them that men cannot become women and vice versa, that they were born the way that they were for a reason and that the way that they were born was a blessing before these other outside forces get in and tell them otherwise. For those who are struggling with their with a family member and especially a child who is is going through this. I mean the best thing to do I think would be to echo that sentiment that the way that they were born is not a burden that they're loved that they're perfect as they are and that the only thing about them that needs to change is their mindset around that. Mm. And to try and spend quality time with them encouraging them to build their own hobbies and skills and keeping them busy so that they're not thinking about this. Right, so they're not so lonely because the loneliness, I mean loneliness is such a huge buzzword today. Right. Surgeon General actually declared loneliness an epidemic problem in, in our nation. And so that's the heart cry of a lot of kids. You said it earlier. That was your I wanted to belong. I wanted friends. And this is pushing people. Uh, I saw it with the eating disorders, you know, 10 years ago. And it's the same thing. It's like, I need to belong, I need friends. And so if I'm engaged, if I'm busy doing creative things, doing sports, doing activities, I need to enlarge my world, right? Right, kids need a sense of community and purpose. Chloe Cole is in a long-term transitioning period. She is speaking around the country and on social media. For more information and to get a copy of this program, go to ritaschulte.com. That's S-C-H-U-L-T-E. We will have a part two of this important story on the podcast. You can subscribe at Sound Century Audio Network, buzzsprout.com. Email us at counseledculture at gmail.com. This episode is titled Chloe Cole. For such a time as this, I'm Richard Beatty. Join us next week for part two of Chloe Cole for such a time as this. Have a great week.